Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Daniel Gallen and Dustin Hawkinsmith. Welcome in at the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn State Health. Dustin Hawkinsmith here with Daniel Gallen. Postseason edition here as we're waiting for a few big balls to drop on Penn State side here. Uh, bowl destination defensive coordinator since the last time that, that you and I spoke, Daniel. And, and along those lines, Thursday, Brent Pry, he was uh, announced as Virginia Tech's head coach a couple of days earlier, made his debut in front of the Virginia Tech media, was introduced, called uh, that opportunity the right one at the right time, talked about his relationship with James Franklin, what he plans do, to do at Virginia Tech, and just seems like um, his performance, if you want to put it that way, his introduction to the to Virginia Tech fans went as well as you would have thought looking at how he he presented himself to the media in the past. What'd you make of his introduction there, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, I think that when you talk about quote unquote winning the press conference, that's something that is a lot more manufactured by us than it is sure. in actuality. But at the same time, it's so important. That's your first impression. Uh, first impressions go a long way. I was still in Philadelphia covering the Eagles for Nick Sirianni's introductory press conference, which did not go that well. And I think that there are probably, there's probably still a group of people that see him as that guy who was at the podium in an empty auditorium in the middle of a global pandemic. But Brent Pride down in Blacksburg, I, I watched most of it today. I mean, I think he hit all the right notes. You had shout outs to Frank Beamer, Bud Foster. He was there for three years in the 90s. He grew up in the area. He didn't use the, that curse term dream job. Uh, but he did call it a dream. He did call it somewhere he wanted to be. And he said that as soon as the job opened after Virginia Tech fired Justin Fuente earlier this year, that he kind of hoped that they'd call. So I thought it was a great performance. I'm sure it was a, a good first impression. I am interested in kind of the, in general, how Virginia Tech fans feel about it. I'm going to text a couple of people later today that I think would know more Virginia Tech fans than me to to kind of gauge it because it's not really the like the sexy hire, I guess, where that was Fuente uh, in 2015. I was pretty convinced that that was really going to work out. So, yeah, I mean, I thought Brent Pry did, did a great job. He got some laughs, made some jokes, talked about how much he wanted to be there. And I think that's all you can ask for uh, for an introductory news conference. And I think he set the tone for what they're getting. And they, meaning Virginia Tech fans, it's like a very just authentic, straightforward guy. And I think that probably was a, appealing to Virginia Tech. It seems like maybe they wanted to move on from that Rolling Stone, big name hire. I mean, there are risks no matter who you hire. And so with Brent Pry, the risk is that he's never led a program of his own before. But I think he's done just about everything else you could ask a coach to do in his career. And he's been stable and reliable. And I think those qualities really stood out in addition to the fact that he had some Virginia Tech roots, having been a GA there, outstanding leading a defense. It seems like he's got the right stuff to, to lead a program as well. But that's the big variable out in front of him. And I think everybody who followed Penn State football, you know, I think you've seen a 
you know, a scattered few fans complaining about the defense, but you always see a scattered few fans complaining about just about everything. And he'll, he'll get to know that idea intimately, the, the faction of fan base that no matter what he does, isn't, it just isn't going to like him. I kind of compared Brent Pry to, to Jim Schwartz a little bit with the Eagles in terms of, you know what they were going to do every single time. Everyone knew that the results were going to be good. It might not necessarily be pretty getting there in terms of, you know, the, the bend don't break isn't always what you want to see. Um, and statistically, sometimes it can look a little shaky, but at the same time, I mean, more, most of the time that defense got the job done. Brent Pry got the job done for the most part. Jim Schwartz got the job done, but at the same time, it didn't really happen in a way where people always felt great about how it happened. So I think that Brent Pry was, I guess, probably in the grand scheme of things, probably a little underappreciated. I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see how they replace him. And I think that there's some kind of philosophical and schematic implications, especially when it comes to the linebackers. You can listen to my episode with Bob to kind of hear uh, some more scattered thoughts about that. Brent Pry had a really successful run at Penn State under James Franklin. You look at what they did this year, one of the, I think, a top 10 scoring defense. The red zone defense was insane uh, at points this year in terms of not letting teams into the end zone. And even with kind of a, a bad last game at Michigan State, they're still one of the best in the nation. And I think that that's kind of that's what you want out of your defense. Big shoes to fill for sure. And I know Bob on Thursday put out his list. A lot of people are putting out their list of possible replacements. It's a lot of guesswork at this point in time. But a, a few names highlighted by I'm very intrigued by um, Anthony Poindexter and whether he will get that opportunity, whether he won't. The upside is that he has DC experience. He's on the staff right now. He did some pretty unbelievable work with Jaquan Brisker and Jair Brown. He'd be a pretty safe, pretty good hire. At the same time, you know, Franklin set a tone last offseason with the offensive coordinator hire to make that difficult move of, of shoving Kirk Shiraka aside after one year and going after that big, glamorous hire with Mike Yersich, who isn't high on people's lists as of right now, but that could change. So will a similar process unfold where he chases a big name there? Is he able to financially? We don't really know the ins and the outs of that. Uh, we know James Franklin carries a list around with him at all times of, of, of guys he would like to hire. Um, and then you kind of think about how the puzzle gets put back together. You mentioned the linebackers. You know, where's the synergy if you're able to promote Anthony Poindexter because you've got a great safeties coach in mind? I mean, all that stuff comes together in how, in terms of how they approach this. Yeah, there's there's so many factors and it's it's difficult. It's not just a, a one for one kind of switch. Uh, there's always going to be some kind of ripple effect down the road um, and what that looks like will remain to be seen. But I do think that the way that James Franklin kind of operates, I'm sure that it'll happen quickly probably just kind of wake up one morning and, oh, they have a new defensive coordinator. Let's go. Uh, I think it'll probably be something like that. So always got to be on edge uh, this time of year. Always got to be on on high alert. You never know uh, which way the coaching carousel is going to spin. But Penn State has a has a pretty, pretty big hire to talk about. And I think that once we actually know who will fill that job, I think it'll be a really interesting conversation to look at the the long-term ramifications. This edition of the coaching carousel has been as wild as any other before, which kind of, to your point, worked against Brent Pry a little bit because he was the opposite of a splashy hire. You know, he was a the, he was a blue collar kind of hire for that program, which I thought 
you know, just a great marriage between the two. The other thing out there um, to look forward to, obviously, we'll get to the the potential bowl destination shortly. We'll find out about that for sure on Sunday where they're going. We'll go through the different scenarios and the possible matchups we could see. But National Signing Day, the the early signing period is coming up here in a few weeks. We got some news this week with 24-7. Their site rankings being updated. Penn State now has two five-stars in this class. One is Drew Aller, who remains a five-star. He was uh, boosted prior to this. He is the number three player in America, number one quarterback, according to 247. And then Nicholas Singleton from Governor Mifflin, who just put up video game numbers this year, looks like an immediate impact guy. He's now a five-star as well, ranked number 20 overall, number one running back. Uh, nine Penn State commits, as you pointed out, in the top 247. Again, these are site rankings. So obviously we knew this class has a lot of star power in it, a lot of good players. It's, a, it's probably the right class at the right time for this Penn State program. Uh, but now as we get to, uh, as we approach the early signing period, it comes to light a little bit more. And just to put that out there, if any of these guys do not sign in the early signing period, it raises some questions that, you know, with the way Penn State finished, that's going to exaggerate that decision as well. Yeah, I think it's going to be an, an interesting couple of weeks. I think given where the Penn State class is, I kind of expect it to be pretty quiet. Uh, I think the one variable that you kind of have to watch is what's happening with Oklahoma's class. Uh, that was a, a top five, I think a top five class. And at this point, it's kind of like, well, who's still committed to Oklahoma? You can kind of lose track of the decommits uh, from there. I think 24-7 uh, reported that Penn State was trying to get involved with a defensive tackle from Baltimore uh, who decommitted from Oklahoma after Lincoln Riley left for USC. So I think that that's kind of the one place where we could see some ripples. Um, Jaden Gould, who was a, a cornerback target over the summer and who I think at one point the, the crystal ball was pretty overwhelming that he was going to pick Penn State. Uh, he picked USC. He decommitted. Penn State did lose a defensive back commit earlier this year uh, in Jordan Allen. So maybe they go one one for one there. But I think that it'll be a quiet couple of weeks. I think that you kind of look at how this class came together, when it came together, and pretty much how it stayed together. Um, I think that you feel pretty good about kind of getting to the finish line with Aller and Singleton. Obviously, those are great feathers in your cap. Uh, in terms of those rankings, uh, 24-7 only gives out 32 five-stars uh, per cycle. It's kind of the, the logic is that these are the 32 first-round picks uh, to kind of put it in NFL terms. Um, and for Nick Singleton to be the 20th one of those, that's pretty good. Um, I think that a couple other sites are a little lower on him, but I think that it's pretty well regarded that that he's a top talent. Um, and Drew Aller, I mean, I think he was number 11 in the last update. Now he's up to number three nationally. He's the top ranked offensive player in the nation. Uh, you watch his film. It's a lot of fun. 6'5", 230. I don't really think you can say enough about him. I think Penn State's just in a, in a good position. Obviously, we know that these things can change really quickly and really unexpectedly. But I do think that, that Penn State seems to be in, in a good spot. Obviously, I, I did the recruiting rankings roundup yesterday. They're still number one in the Big Ten. They're still number five nationally. Ohio State is right behind them, but Ohio State only has, I think, 16 commits. So there's going to be some shuffling, and you know, you might not get that lofty number five, number four, number three, number two, number one ranking in the nation, but 
I think that when you look kind of top to bottom, um, this will be, this is, this is a good class. And then the question just becomes, all right, you got them to campus. Now you got to develop them. So it's worth saying, and, and I looked at your um, big time recruiting rankings. They're up on penlive.com uh, now. The top six programs in the Big Ten in terms of recruiting rank are all in the Eastern Division. So, you know, which may, you know, when you look at the, you know, East versus West and all the dynamics, I mean, it makes a world of sense and, and doesn't look like anything's changing anytime soon. It'll be interesting to see along those lines. You know, Michigan got kind of an immediate boost after beating Ohio State. They can keep that momentum rolling this weekend coming up uh, when I when they presumably beat Iowa and they presumably <laughs> reach the college football playoff. Now Iowa Iowa is the king of the uh, they're the anti presumably kings of, of of the Big Ten, but I don't think they match up with Michigan. Michigan wants to do the same thing as Iowa does, except they're a lot better at it. So I'd be stunned if they lose. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, Michigan building a little bit of momentum, closing late. To your point that you made as well. You know, we've seen the coaching carousel get so bananas because of this new early signing period. I say new, it's a, a couple of years now. Uh, and the stakes have never been higher this time of year if you're a program to get your coach in place to seal a deal. And because otherwise you risk losing an entire recruiting cycle. And if you lose, and, and lose might not be the best word, but it's a big blow if you have m- many of your top commits go someplace else. That's where Oklahoma is right now. So that's why you're seeing all this money thrown around now because it's almost like, not life or death, but it's pretty serious to make sure that you get the best possible class you can. And that starts right now in December, which is why you see Lincoln Riley overnight go from (laughs) denying all LSU job rumors to going to USC. That's why you see Brian Kelly spend 11 seconds with his Notre Dame team before he's off to LSU and get whatever he's getting, $10 million. I mean, these are significant situations, but, you know, Oklahoma's class is out there for the taking right now. Um, Gold is out there for, for somebody to maybe Penn state comes back around. And then lastly, Drew Aller, the significance of the quarterback position, it's obvious, but you know, the, the, the widespread ramifications are, are interesting one, because you get the quarterback in place. Other players want to come and be around that quarterback. Linemen want to protect for him. Running backs want to run behind him. Uh, Wide receivers want to catch passes from him. He makes the quarterback, you know, Penn state hasn't had the quarterback in a long time. The quarterback can change so many things. So there's a lot of hope with Drew Aller coming in and Nicholas Singleton. I don't think you could have asked for two better positions than quarterback and running back to potentially get transcendent type upgrades right now. I'm sure in mention, mentioning quarterback and, and running back as, as two top positions, we'll get uh, a lot of comments about the offensive line and, sure. and how that doesn't matter if the offensive line isn't good. But yeah, you make a lot of good points there. I think that the the ripple effects are, are pretty interesting and you look at kind of what Notre Dame has done uh, with the reports that Marcus Freeman will take over that Tommy Reese is staying that it sounds like that Brian Kelly tried to take a lot of the staff with him and not a lot of it is going with him, which is an interesting subplot uh, to watch right there. But it seems like that, I mean, that Notre Dame class this year, I think was his top three nationally. And that's kind of uh, what you said, where if that falls apart, that sets you back, um, you know, for a program like Notre Dame, it might be the difference between a 10 win season and an eight win season losing a, a cycle like that. But it seems like Notre Dame is going to keep it together. And you know that a lot of these other, especially these big 10 programs, Michigan, Ohio state, 
even Penn State, you knew that when there's kind of that uncertainty at Notre Dame, you know that they're waiting and that they were that there were probably a lot of phone calls that were about to be made, a lot of texts that were about to be sent, depending on what happened with the coaching situation there. So, I mean, the early signing period is just the signing period now. I think that that's kind of safe to say. It got brought up uh, to Brent Pry during his intro uh, news conference. So we'll see. It's always silly and we've got two-ish more weeks of it. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our 12 locations. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. Let's um, shift here to um, bowl season coming up. Uh, announcement coming. We'll, we'll figure out where Penn State's going soon, but there are a few different options in play, as you pointed out this week in the latest bowl projections. Before we started recording, I just said I don't really bother with trying to project myself. We have people out there on the national level who project, and these are what the projections say. So three possibilities stand out. Penn State Bowl in the Bronx, good in some respects, bad in some respects. Um, weather, most notably. Music City Bowl in Nashville. And the Las Vegas Bowl in, you guessed it, Las Vegas. Different types of matchups here. I did go through it. I don't know if you want me to kind of, I can give a couple bullet points on each potential team Penn State would face. Then we can discuss them. All right. We can just knock out the background. So number one, uh, Penn State Bowl, a few different possibilities, ACC teams. Uh, North Carolina and Mac Brown, another program that had high hopes that underachieved a little bit. They can score some points. They give up some points. They uh, rank near the bottom of the of the country in penalties. So um, you can see kind of maybe a little bit of discipline lacking there. Virginia, the number two passing offense in the country, number three total offense. They've lost four straight games coming in. Uh, Louisville, they just got torched by Will Levis in Kentucky, 52 to 21. They are a running team. Malik Cunningham, the quarterback, could be a handful for anybody, could be a handful for Penn State. Those are three mentioned for the Penn State Bowl. The Mus- Music City Bowl, two teams, Arkansas a wild team to try to forecast. Um, They've been in a lot of interesting games. 52-51, they lost to Ole Miss. They played Bama tough. They beat LSU in overtime a couple weeks ago. I think that will be a fun game no matter what. That's that's kind of an unknown commodity there. Tennessee, they move fast on offense. They throw the ball a lot. They score points, and they convert on third down. So a lot of Penn State fans kind of thinking, what's that life like? But uh, Arizona State, Herm Edwards, you know, I think just a kind of a gritty team. I, nothing really stands out as far as I saw uh, in terms of what they do great, what they don't do so well. UCLA, um, Chip Kelly, that offense will be interesting to, to play against. You'd be going kind of in their turf near the West Coast in Las Vegas. Uh, quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson and the Michigan transfer running back Zach Charbonnet. So those are the different types of matchups out there. I know for my money, I would love to see Penn State go to Nashville and play Arkansas in that Music City Bowl. I think that'd be a fun matchup. But they're all all these. Obviously, bowl season presents a lot of different possibilities. Yeah, I think if uh, power ranking kind of my desires, I guess my my wants, uh, Music City Bowl against Arkansas, I think that that's kind of the the most like different matchup, the most unique yeah. matchup. And that's kind of what you want out of bowl season, I think, is that this is the chance to kind of see some cross-pollination between the conferences, um, especially with kind of, I mean, Penn State played Auburn uh, this year. They'll play Auburn next year. But 
the way that the Big Ten with its nine conference games, the the non-conference scheduling kind of leaves a little bit to be desired from entertainment, interesting uh, matchup perspective. So I think that my eye was definitely drawn toward the Music City Bowl, uh, Arkansas or Tennessee, which was a new new entry into the projections. Um, Hendon Hooker was great for them. Uh, Josh Heupel runs a, a pretty entertaining offense there. So I think that that kind of stands out to me. Arkansas, I mean, I think the one thing that kind of hangs over all these games um, on both sides is kind of the, is the opt-outs. Um, obviously, you you totally understand uh, why guys would do it. If Jahan Dotson uh, says that he's not playing in the bowl game, that would be disappointing, but I get it. Uh, he said after the Michigan State game that he hadn't made a decision yet, and that would come. But you look at it from the other side, too, like with the pinstripe bowl, they, if Penn State plays North Carolina, is Sam Howell really going to play in that game? I don't necessarily think so. And with North Carolina, that's another team, too, that I feel like would be pretty checked out um, in terms of the the disappointment, how they ended their year. I think that's kind of my, my least desirable uh, matchup there. Um, Virginia, I think Brennan Armstrong is back. I did not do my, my enough research, but they played some really fun games. And I think that that, that passing offense against the Penn State defense at whatever strength it's at, that would be a lot of fun. And then Malik Cunningham uh, from Louisville, that would be fun too. And then for the Las Vegas Bowl, obviously Chip Kelly offense, let's do it. Like, I know Brent Pry won't be there, but you know, this Penn State defense that Chip Kelly offense, sure, sign me up. Um, and then Arizona State in the Adam Brenneman Bowl. Um, I think that Jaden Daniels is a fun player. So that's kind of, that's how I kind of look at it as I'm like, all right, which of these games would be the most fun to watch, which, which game will have like the players that I want to see. Um, I think Traylon Burks, the wide receiver from Arkansas, I've seen a lot of good things tweeted about him and texted to me, but I haven't actually seen them and I want to see them. Um, he's another guy that may or would be kind of an, an opt out candidate, but that's just kind of how I look at it. Like at this point in the year, just want to, especially after this season, just want to watch a fun game. Want to see some interesting things happen. Want to see something that I, you know, kind of haven't seen before. I don't know if, I don't know if you kind of look at it that way or how, how you kind of approach it. From my vantage point. Yeah. I, I, I want to see the most intriguing matchup and, you know, you touched on a couple key points when it comes to bowl season in modern college football, the opt out thing. I mean, I think, I think in my eyes, I view the cutoff point as new year's six versus everything else. If you're seven and five and you're going to the Bronx to play in the pinstripe bowl, no disrespect to any of that, but Jahan, that changes the decision-making for Jahan Dotson, you know, and I, he, he is all in with his team. He has said a bunch of times that he loves his teammates. He could very well not really follow that logic about preservation in, in advance of the NFL draft. Um, his decision-making could be different, but I get it completely with all those guys. And I think with, with all of them, you know, you want to win in bowl season, but I think James Franklin would probably be the first to say that the outcome of that game is the least important part that the additional practices um, are, are most important in, in terms of development. And then if you do have, let's just say Jahan Dotson opts out, um, you are without Brent Pry, you start to get a glimpse into the future and you start to, you know, maybe put Parker Washington in that spot that he's going to be in next year as being the number one guy. Um, and that's important, you know, and, and some of these breakout performances in bowl games, I look back, you know, Chris Godwin was the king of the, of Penn state bowl games. You know, his breakout occurred there somebody's breakout could and should probably happen. Journey Brown's did. I know it didn't 
totally pan out because of uh, unfortunate things. But Micah Parsons, you know, final college moment was dominance in that bowl game. And you see that now at the NFL level. So there are a lot of things to look at. And I guess the, the point I would like to make is that players opting out, there's a silver lining to it. And you can kind of see that with Penn State. If there's an interim defensive coordinator, if there's a defensive coordinator in place, whatever happens there, that's also the first chapter in a, in a new book being written on that side of the ball. You know, Brent Pry has been on James Franklin's staffs at Vanderbilt and Penn State for 11 years. He's been five years as defensive coordinator at Penn State. You know, I think getting a little bit of information for what Penn State's defense will look like moving forward, that's fun too. But I know that Penn State fans, a lot of fans who are interested in traveling, they travel well no matter what. The warmer the weather, the better. The more outside of football there is to do, the better. So Music City Bowl in Nashville would be a fun time with that downtown scene and the music scene and all that. Las Vegas, for obvious reasons, to kind of go west. You'd have a lot more people for those two, but especially, I think, Vegas making excuses to call off work so they can go to Penn State's bowl game. Yeah, definitely. I think that the the destination uh, is kind of a little bit, sometimes a little bit more weighted than the opponent. Um, obviously Nashville, great city. Um, I've only been there once and it was, it was for work. It was for an Eagles game. And I was, you know, in on Friday out on Sunday, uh, that was in 2018. And that was the weekend of the Penn state, Ohio state game. And I went with a bunch of Penn state alums, uh, to watch that game, which was pretty fun, a good experience. Yeah. I mean, I think music city bowl, uh, is kind of the Nashville would be nice. The weather I think would be Obviously, it can get a little shaky. You know, we saw that. I always remember the when the Packers played the Steelers in the Super Bowl uh, in 2011, and it was like, oh, it's Dallas, like it's Texas, and then it was it just snowed all week and was just like not a good week. So it can always be a little dicey somewhere. But Nashville would be great. Uh, Arkan seeing a bunch of Arkansas fans calling the Hogs just kind of on the street uh, in Nashville. That's something I'd like to see. I have friends there and I've already kind of teased like, Hey, I might need somewhere to crash on new years, depending on uh, what the college football gods decide Vegas, obviously leaving, uh, getting out there the last week of December would be fun. I have a cousin who's a magician who lives there that I haven't seen in a couple of years. Like you, that's kind you of the- would have a magician cousin, by the way, you would have a magician cousin. Yeah. It, it's funny how those things work out. Um, and then, I mean, I think even the pinstripe bowl, I mean, Penn state's been there before, uh, with global warming, you don't really have to worry about the weather as much. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think people would still go to it. There's still some novelty in the baseball stadium. I personally wouldn't mind that because I would just spend basically two weeks traversing up down, up and down I-95 for Christmas and new years and, and everything like that. But I think that kind of the music city bowl, Las Vegas bowl this time of year, especially after this season, it's kind of a good reward for watching this team, for kind of following along the ups, the downs. You just get to go to Nashville, watch a game and get a chance to kind of see what's next. I mean, when I think bowl game, basically the first name that popped into my head is Kalen King might not come off the field in that game. I mean, we saw a lot of that freshman cornerback uh, down the stretch and depending on what what's going on with some of the other cornerbacks. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy that they just kind of throw out there and they're like, it's the bowl game you're next, you're up next. Let's do it. Let's see what you got. And I think that there's kind of the, that's kind of the, the fun subplots that, that you have going, uh, going on in there in the postseason. A lot of stuff to look forward to um, Penn state 
with that defensive coordinator search, as you mentioned, you know, something could happen on that front really at any moment. And I trust just the way things typically go and the inconvenience for people who, you know, are trying to follow along. That'll be a 6.15 p.m. on a Friday. I'm guessing at some point in time, just a one little tweak of inconvenience for you. You love to see it. Uh, the bowl game announcement will be coming on uh, Sunday. And then you've got the early signing period. I know we discussed all these things, but wheels will be in motion here for the next couple of weeks. And we'll be following along with it. He's Daniel Gallon. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. We'll be signing off of this edition of the Blue White Breakdown. Be sure to follow Daniel as we move forward into these new things at Daniel JT Gallon on Twitter. Check us out at penlive.com slash Penn State Football. And you can download or subscribe to the Blue White Breakdown pretty much anywhere podcasts are downloaded. So there you go. Thanks for tuning into this Blue White Breakdown, and we will see you next time. This is the Blue White Breakdown.